All right. Whoa, it was loud. Hey, good morning, transit family. How's everyone doing? We good? Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn them on uh, or open them to Ephesians 1. We'll be in um, continuing our sermon series. We've been in it now for about three weeks, and it's entitled Between Two Worlds. What does it look like for us followers of Jesus to be in two places at once, to be in Christ Jesus and yet also in uh, Ephesus? Quick commercial break. Uh, we have a membership class, March 19th, if you weren't here for the announcements. Uh, our membership class is all about uh, what it means to become a member at the Transit Church. So if you've been here at the Transit for a few weeks or a few months and want to explore what it looks like to partner with us uh, for the sake of the gospel and our community and become an official member at the church, you'll hear all about um, our mission, vision, values, theological distinctives, um, and what it means to be a member. So that's March 19th before the service. You've got to wake up bright and early, 8 to 15. We'll get you some uh, coffee and bagels, a little continental breakfast, um, and wrap up around uh, 9.15 just in time for the service. So more info in the weekly update. And if you need to get on the weekly update, email jake at transitchurch.com so you don't miss out on all the amazing things we have going on at the transit. So our text today is Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. If you were here last week, we looked at Ephesians uh, 1, verses 1 through 6. And what we saw was that Paul essentially begins this letter with a brief greeting, a brief salutation, and then he kind of busts out and just praising God. And verses 3 through 14 are actually just one sentence in the Greek. It's all one sentence. So Paul, it's like, it'd be like me calling up, you know, uh, Pastor Seth Shook, and I'd be like, hey, Pastor Seth Shook, this is Pastor Nick Mudrizo. And then I'd just say, bless the Lord. And I'd just start singing, right? And uh, what we saw last week, the big idea of uh, last week was, will we join in on the song that Paul is singing of praising Jesus? And that's what we saw last week is all the amazing things that we have in Christ Jesus and how that changes our attitudes and actions while we're in Ephesus. And so today, that song continues. And to start out my talk, I want to ask a very serious question. That question is this, who here are my Amazon Prime members? Anyone Amazon Prime members? A lot of hands. Guilty as charged, all right? That two-day guaranteed shipping is change your life. Okay, it's amazing. So this week, I had a, this is a true story, I had a package come to my door. It had my name on it. It was from Amazon. And it was like, you know, like the box that looks like a book. And I'm like, yes, I totally forgot I ordered a book. I didn't even know what book it was, but I'm a book nerd. So like, if you got a book, you'd be like, oh man, this stinks. I get a book and I'm like, this is amazing. Thank you. Jesus, like Christmas morning, I had a book. And so I opened it up. And I'm like, yes, I forgot I ordered, like, I forgot this was mine. And it brought me joy, and I was reading it last night, and it, was, and it was amazing, right? That book came. It had my name on it. I knew what was inside of that belonged to me, and I forgot what was inside. I forgot what was rightly mine, what was paid for. And so today, we're going to continue that song. And uh, if you've already looked at verse 7 of our text, the beginning of our text, it's the title of my sermon this morning, and it's, In Him We Have. Four words, In Him We Have. And listen, we're going to get some arts and crafts going on today, church. So um, you might, man, Nick, how long did you spend on this? Not that long. So these are actually my office. These are Ikea. Uh, so yeah, I just print this out, tape this. But this is, I think this represents um, everything we have in Jesus, everything we're going to be looking at in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, right? And the, the name of this box is In Him We Have, verse 7, right? And what Paul is doing, I think, to the Ephesian church who are probably marginalized in their society, maybe uh, facing economic uh, difficult situations because of their profession of faith in Christ in Ephesus and around Ephesus. And Paul's writing this from jail. He's saying, remember what is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't forget what is yours. Often we have gospel amnesia. We forget all the glory of the gospel, all the, the lavish grace of God that we have in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, he's, he's digging into the box for the Ephesian believers in, in the first 
14 verses, and he's pulling out these amazing gospel truths, these gospel realities. And he's saying, Jesus Christ has handed you this, Ephesian believers, this box. It's the free gift of salvation for those in Christ Jesus. And this is everything now that you possess because of what Christ has done for you. And your name is on this box. Everything inside of this box is rightly yours. And what we saw last week, he says, you're holy and blameless before him. Your sin issue has been dealt with. He's cleansing you. He's washing you. He's purifying you. And then we saw last week is Paul busts this out. He goes, every spiritual blessing, what comes in Christ Jesus, your union with Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. God the Father has not held back anything on you. In Christ Jesus, he's given you everything that he can give you. He hasn't held back on you. And then he says, oh, by the way, he's given you adoption as sons. You belong to God forever. That's irrevocable. That's eternal. That's uh, unshakable. No one and nothing can take you from his hands. You belong to God. And if we were to say, well, Paul, is, is there anything else? Is that it? It's just those three things? And the adjectives Paul uses throughout Ephesians to talk about what we get when we get Jesus, he says in Ephesians 3 that this box is unsearchable. There's no bottom. Like, I, if, I, if I wanted to destroy my sweet Ikea boxes, I would cut this out and say, there's no bottom. It's endless, right? It's eternal. It's immeasurable. It's unsearchable. You can't find, you're going to spend an eternity in the presence of God, in the presence of, of the redeemed saints, uh, remembering and recalling all these amazing things that Jesus has done for us. And so today, the three things that we're looking at, that Paul's showing the Ephesian church and is ministering to us through his word and by his spirit is this. If you're taking notes, the three points all start with the letter F and they end with the letter T, so to help you out. In him, in Jesus, we have freedom from tyranny, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and full restoration of all things. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. And the big idea of my talk is this, is remembering these things, recalling them to mind. That this isn't just uh, us coming to study truths uh, in God's word. This is how reality works. This is what it was really yours. This is really your status, your standing, your inheritance before the living God. And so remembering these things leads to rejoicing, fixing our eyes on Jesus and rejoicing uh, in everything that we have in him. So let me read Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, and we will dive on in. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We come before you with hearts full of gratitude and rejoicing. Um, this is a great place to be. This is a, a precursor uh, to what we're going to be doing in all of eternity, the redeemed of God gathering under the banner of Jesus Christ and beholding him together and crying out in adoration for the lamb that was slain to rescue us from our sins. So thank you for this moment. God, this is a worship gathering. Would all of us posture our hearts before you to receive what you have for each and every one of us in this room. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd invade our hearts and you'd search us, O oh Lord, where, we've, where our hearts have found more joy in Ephesus than they've they found in you, Christ Jesus. And would you do something beautiful today? Would you lift our chins, Holy Spirit, to seek the things that are above? Get our focus in this these brief few moments we have together off of all the worries and concerns of Ephesus, which is temporal and fading away. And would you fix our eyes, Jesus, on you reigning and ruling over all things. 
fix our eyes on what is immeasurable, what is unsearchable, what is eternal. And that's our salvation in you, God. So come Holy Spirit, would Jesus be magnified? Would all eyes be on him? Would I be forgotten? And would you come Holy Spirit and help me faithfully preach your truth and your word? And I pray, Lord, that I would be forgotten and you would be remembered this morning in all of our hearts. And everyone said, amen. All right, point number one, in him we have freedom from tyranny. The first thing, if you will, that the Apostle Paul kind of pulls out of the box and shows to the church is one word. And he says, in him we have this beautiful thing. We have redemption. Redemption, right? And as we try to wrestle with a modern day definition of what that word is, there's a lot of ideas we have, right? Like, oh, a redemption story. It's like a comeback, right? Like when the Mighty Ducks are, I got thrown in Mighty Ducks again, when they're behind with Iceland and they come back and that's a redemption story, right? They got to come back. Or maybe in, in regards to credit card points, right? You redeem those credit card reward, you know, or, or maybe you're like, hey, that's, is redemption a Denzel Washington movie? And, you know, whatever. Like there's just these, these like, what does redemption mean? Well, in the first century, in, in regards to the, the, the scriptural use of the word redemption, it's crystal clear on what it meant. It connotates deliverance from slavery. It's a liberation from captivity. It's being set free from being enslaved to someone or something. And uh, the Exodus story is um, kind of the, the preeminent example in the Old Testament scriptures of God's, God redeeming his people from the tyranny um, and the oppression of Pharaoh in Egypt. God's people in the Exodus story were enslaved. They had no rights. They were kind of possessed, if you will. They were owned by Pharaoh, used for his purposes, never given a day off, had no hope at all of rescuing themselves as the status of slaves until God comes and he calls Moses and he calls Aaron. And what's the, I love the phrase, man. Get me all fired up here. Moses and Aaron go, and what, what do they say? Come on, what do they say to Pharaoh? Let my people go, right? And so what the, what's happening there is a shift of ownership. <clears throat> the Lord's representatives are coming. They're saying, they don't belong to you. They belong to me. They're mine. You're going to let my people go. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to rescue them from my bondage and bring them to myself. Okay, let my people go. We'll talk more about redemption leading to relationship later on. So that's the, that's, the, that's the context of the word redemption. It's, it's being delivered from bondage and slavery. And what we see is that this was the commission, this was the modus operandi of the promised Messiah. The promised Messiah was coming to liberate God's people from their oppression. Luke 4, verses will be on the screen. <clears throat> Jesus is in his hometown, Nazareth, and he's reading uh, from the scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading from Isaiah, what we know to be Isaiah uh, 61. And he almost gets, he almost gets killed um, for reading from this because after he's done reading this, he says, this scripture about the promised Messiah and what the Messiah was coming to do has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's basically saying, you're looking at the Messiah. The day has come. Um, this moment has come. And this is what the text says in Luke 4, 16 through 19. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And um, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's what it means to be the Messiah. Christ is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word Messiah. And what Christ and Messiah means is the anointed one. The one anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed at his, at his baptism. That's when his ministry began. When the Holy Spirit descended like a, a dove at his baptism. And then boom, spearheaded his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Watch this. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of 
the Lord's favor. And so the question that we need to ask is, okay, well, the Messiah was coming to liberate people from oppression. But what we know to be true is that God's people, the Israelites, were under the tyranny of Rome. They were oppressed by Rome. And during Jesus' ministry, and even after his death, his resurrection, his ascension, Rome was still oppressing God's people, the Israelites. So clearly, the, uh, the, the liberation, the redemption that Jesus is talking about here is not a physical redemption, but a spiritual redemption. That Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was anointed by the Holy Spirit to liberate humanity from the tyranny, the oppression of sin and the death and death and the devil. Scripture makes clear that outside of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, all of us are a slave to sin, we're under the just wrath of God, and we're deserving of eternal death, and therefore we don't belong to God, we actually belong to the devil. That's our status for those outside Jesus Christ. And so if I were to uh, pull open another box, would be this one, and these all come from my office here, it works out great. Uh, In him, in sin, this is what we have. So outside of Christ, what we have is actually, if you imagine this is a jail cell that you're in, and you're, um, instead of under the grace of God, you and I are under God's wrath, Ephesians 2. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. We're children of wrath. We're under the wrath of God, and therefore we're separated from God. We actually don't have peace with God. Paul starts his letter saying grace and peace to you, and that, that, that's, that grace and peace is for those in Christ Jesus. If you're outside of Christ Jesus, instead of grace, you have wrath. Instead of peace, you have hostility between you and God. Why? Because we are sinners. We're in our sin. We have transgressed and uh, turned our backs on our creator and our Lord. Whether that's through deliberate evil, right? Or whether that's through just flippant dismissal. Looking at our creator, the one who is supremely worthy and valuable and saying, uh, you don't, you're not worthy of my attention. You're not worthy of my affection. I don't want nothing to do with you in my life. And you just kind of dismiss the Lord right? We're going to talk more about that. You're not going to ahead of myself in a little bit. But in sin, we're bound by sin. We're a slave to sin. Uh, we stand condemned before holy and just God for our transgressions. And therefore, we don't have the hope that we belong to God. Uh, we belong to the devil. The devil makes rightful claim on us. We're eternally set. Then the punishment of our transgressions is separation from God forever. And in Romans 1, it talks about God's just judgment on our sins is just handing us over for what we want, saying if you don't want God, you actually don't get God. You get sin, if that's what you want. But the beautiful news for everyone here today is that the choice is before you of what you want. God has made a way for salvation. God has made a way for eternal riches and grace and peace and new life and salvation. He's made a way to himself. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The only way you get out of your captivity to sin is by my sacrifice and death on the cross, trusting in me and following me. It's good news. God has made a way in his son, Christ Jesus. And so that's everything that we have in our sins. So therefore, our greatest need, if that's our greatest issue, our greatest need then in life is spiritual liberation, redemption, and rescue, which we can't do ourselves. The language that scripture uses around us being in sin is slavery. Slavery, the definition of a, of a slave is a person who's forced to work for and obey another and is considered their property. And the implication there is that we're powerless. If we are in sin, we are powerless to rescue ourselves. We're powerless to redeem ourselves. Look at what Jesus says in John 8, 34. It's the words of Jesus Christ himself. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him 
in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be what? Be enslaved to sin. And so the tyranny of our sin, we're all sinners by nature and choice. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've transgressed God's perfect uh, law and we've fallen short of living to his glory and living to worship him. And we've, we've actually worshiped the devil. Uh, if, if obeying God's commandments is worshiping him, then disobeying God's commands in a, the flip side is worshiping the devil. I heard a pastor recently say that complaining is the devil's praise music. And I was like, oh, dang, oh, man. And I hope that did that for you, too. You're like me, hey, like, you know, we struggle with complaining. Hey, the devil gets, puts a smile on his face when we complain. Because if gratitude and, and adoration and, and, and rejoicing in God is, is how we praise him, but then the flip side, right? There's only two, two, two kind of kings, the prince of the power of the air and the king of kings who's seated above him and has conquered him. And so this tyranny of sin in our lives manifests in two ways. Primarily, for the, for the sake of our time, we could spend a whole sermon series on this topic, but um, debt and dominion. This is how the tyranny of sin enslaves us. Debt and dominion. So let's talk about debt. If sin is slapping the thrice holy God in the face, if you will, our sin, which we all, I mean, guilty as charged, all of us have done. We, God has revealed himself, that he exists. Uh, and, and for some of us who maybe have heard the gospel and have read his laws, and when, even in the, the light of that knowledge, we still willfully turn from God, turn our backs to God and say, my will be done, not your will be done. A debt uh, is incurred, a debt, a massive eternal debt. And you might be saying, how is that just? I only live, you know, a few decades here on earth, but then I get eternally punished. How is that just? punishment, eternal separation from God for my sins here on earth. Well, let me put it to you this way. If you go into that parking lot right now, there's a 2008 Toyota Highlander. And if you take your keys and you write the alphabet, okay, on my car with your keys, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way around. And I walk out to see my car and see you do that, I'd be like, hey, no big deal, man. All good. Kind of did me a favor. I can teach my kids the alphabet now in my car. Make sure you cross that T, you miss the I there, the dot on the I, like not a big deal. But man, if your boy's rolling in like a $500,000 yellow Lamborghini with the doors that go like that, and you have the audacity to key that car, well, you just, you just incurred a massive debt that you probably can't pay back, right? And so it's not just what you do, but it's who you do it against. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, you all get, you all understand that now. My 08 Highlander, not a big deal flippant. There's not value, but God is of supreme worth and value. He is what is most immensely valuable. That's why he always points us to himself. There's nowhere else he can point us to for life and joy. Um, He's created us, so therefore he owns us. He makes rightful claim on us, and he created it for himself to be in relationship with himself, and we all have gone astray and said, we don't want a relationship with you. We want to do our own thing. That's like taking the keys to the yellow Lamborghini, and that incurs a debt, and God is a God of justice. He wouldn't be a God of love if he just swept sin under the rug. He is a God of justice. And I heard this said recently that every single sin that humanity has ever committed will be fully and perfectly judged by God. Every sin. If God is a perfect judge and he is omniscient, every sin committed against him, which every sin is committed ultimately against him, will be judged fully and perfectly because he is a perfect and righteous judge. And so therefore... In order to satisfy that demand of justice, your sins and mine can either be credited to Christ's account or we will have to stand and give an account to God for our own sins. But, but you hear me this, when, when we understand that, sins big, sins in thought, sins in our heart, read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says it's not just about external actions, it's about what's happening here, what's happening here. You and I cry out and say, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. 
I need forgiveness. I need grace. And so God is perfect and just, and in Christ Jesus, he has perfectly satisfied. He's, give, he's paid off our debt. He's provided something for us that we can never do ourselves. But the second thing, so that's debt. We've all incurred a, crashing de- or a crushing debt that we can never pay off. And the second one is dominion, is dominion. That outside of the new birth of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit at salvation, we are enslaved to obey the passions of our flesh. We're powerless to choose to love God, to follow his commandments. And we're a slave to these passions. We actually can't break. You need God to follow God. And so what we do is we live up, we live our lives pulling hell into our lives rather than pulling down the presence of, of heaven. So before, if we're in sin, we're outside of God. We're not filled with spirit. But if we're in Christ Jesus, we're gonna talk about this next week, we're given the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now we have the fruits of the Spirit, peace and love and joy and, and now self-control. And now in Christ Jesus, it says in Romans 6, sin no longer has dominion over us, but we have dominion over our sinful passions. The fight still battles, but we now battle sin, the power of it from the high ground. It doesn't have dominion over us. We have dominion over it. So the beautiful news that the Messiah came to do, Jesus did, is he came to give us freedom from the tyranny of the debt of sin, the dominion of sin, and the damnation that sin brings. And the way he did this was through his death on the cross, which leads me to my second point. In him, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. In him, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. Verse 7 says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So if we were to ask Paul, hey, Paul, how did this redemption come about that you're talking about? This liberation from slavery, and Paul would say, through his blood, Through the blood of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, the blood of Jesus is Paul's shorthand for for talking about Jesus' perfect life and perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. So when you hear blood, it's, it's Paul's shorthand. It's kind of him footnoting the person and work of Jesus Christ, his atoning death on the cross for our sins. And then it leads to a follow up question How does Jesus' death on the cross redeem and rescue us from our slavery to sin? And I'm sure if you've been in the church, you've heard the word redemption used almost simultaneously with the word ransom. But they're actually different things. So redemption is the act of delivering someone from bondage and slavery, but ransom is the price you pay to make that happen. So ransom is the price that's paid to make that happen. So uh, in kind of, you know, ancient Near Eastern culture, if, say, I went into a ton of debt against somebody— like millions upon millions of dollars that there's no way I could pay off, I would uh, become an indentured servant to that person. Meaning this, that um, well, out of kind of the time-wage ratio, and uh, until with my time in service to you as my master and I'm your bond servant, um, I will be a slave to you for 30 years, and we'll both agree that after 30 years, I've officially paid back what I owe. So the only way for me to get debt-free and get redeemed from that status of being a slave is either I work my fingers to the bone and pay off my crushing debt, or someone takes it upon themselves and say, hey, that one belongs to me. Let my people go. I'm going to pay the price of his redemption. Put it a different way. Uh, anyone here live in North Springfield? Anyone here know Lake Akatink? Been to Lake Akatink? A few of you all? Okay. I live in North Springfield. There's this beautiful, massive lake in the middle of North Springfield. It's amazing. We were there yesterday. It was beautiful. And there's all these signs around North Springfield, um, these like real estate signs. It says, save Lake Akatink. And I'm driving, I'm like, whoa, man, I didn't know, like, like acting was in harm's way. Like, what's, what's this bondage? It's in slavery. What's happening? Like, big tech, big corporate, you know, what's, like, they, they're going to dig for oil there? What's happening, you know? 
And so you follow the website, you can fill out a survey, and they give you the scoop. And here's the scoop in case you guys are wondering. Um, I'm going to tell you either way. Um, <laughs> is this is, uh, so I guess there's so much sediment and sludge being built up, flowing into Lake Akating, that in seven years, it will just be like a massive like mud pit, like Dagobah systems, like just nasty swampland. It won't be a lake. It has, it has this kind of sludge issue, if you will, kind of like a sin issue. And it's, and it's, and it's building up, right? And uh, it needs to be saved. Otherwise, it will cease to exist. There's a consequence for that sludge issue, and it's eventually going to lead to its destruction. And so you go on the survey, and they survey all the people in the community. And I filled out this survey. <laughs> and you want to know the price tag? There's a ransom to redeem like Akatink from his bondage. Take a wild guess at what the estimate is of Fairfax County tax dollars to redeem that, to ransom like Akatink. 30 mil? 60? Keep going. 100? 500 million dollars! Yes, it's what I said. I was like, sorry, Lake Akatink, you're getting caught. <laughs> Skate park, playground, like, you know, you're toast. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. 500 million dollars? Dredging up all that stuff, right? That's a crushing debt. And when it comes to our sin issue, given the scope and the, 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 the weightiness of the issue and the cost of the debt, you and I with our sin issue, it'd be like us being in the middle of like Akatink with a kid's beach shovel trying to shovel out the sludge to pay off our debt of sin that we've incurred against God. We need someone to come and pay our ransom. That's why it's through the blood of Jesus his payment on our behalf, his perfect payment paid in full, which actually clears our debt. And Jesus says, that one belongs to me. Yes, that one with all the sludge issues, you bring all that on me. And not only that, the beautiful thing is he doesn't just buy it and, and, and save us, but then he, there's a transfer of ownership, right? Where right now, like acting has, I mean, no, no offense to Fairfax County government employees, but they, they, he's not in good hands because Fairfax County doesn't want to take care of like acting. It's a bad master. But then a new master comes, say Jeff Bezos comes along and says, I want that lake. He pays that ransom. And now, all of a sudden, we have a brand new lake with some, with some Amazon money coming its way to, to recreate it, to renew it, to spice it up a little bit, right? And so with redemption, how redemption comes about is through ransom. And that's everything we're saying about here is my debt of sin. Every sin, every sin I've committed against God has been fully tried has been paid for in full on the cross, never to be retried again. This is what Jesus has done for you and I. He's looked at you and I, like I look at Lake Akatine and I say, not worth it. Not worth $500 million. Jesus Christ looks at you and I in our sin issue, our debt of sin, and he looks at you and I, this is the gospel, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, he says, worth my life. Worth my life. Absorbing the wrath of God, Embracing that forsakenness on your behalf to give you the chance to be in relationship with him. And this is the good news of the gospel. It's not just what we are redeemed from, but who we're redeemed to. And this is what, in this, in this uh, language of redemption and, and ransom, this is what the gospel clearly articulates. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, excuse me, whom you have from God? Watch this, watch this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain for you. So glorify God in your body. So live as a living sacrifice to God. Make it your aim to please the one who purchased you, who did what you could never do yourself, set you free from the tyranny 
of sin by forgiving you of your trespasses. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, watch this. In sin, we belong to the devil forever, but he, watch this, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us, he has redeemed us from the domain of darkness, and, and okay, not just that, that's great news, but then watch this even better news, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Redemption coming about through the forgiveness of our sins, our debt being cleared uh, and being purchased, that price being paid, so now that we are owned by God, he becomes our master, which Romans 6.22 says. But now that you have been set free from sin, see, we've been set free from sin, but now we've become slaves of God. But listen, a God who's compassionate, a God who's uh, slow to anger, a God who's abounding in steadfast love and mercy, a God who's lavished his grace upon us in his son. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. And so before I move on to my third point, during our men's Bible study this week, um, men's Bible study, 6 a.m. every Wednesday in that room of the church, every, open invite to all the dudes here. And what we do is we dive into the sermon text that will be preached coming up. And so uh, this Wednesday, somebody mentioned the song we sang the week before of I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Uh, that's Romans 8.15, by the way, that verse, that worship song is based on a bible verse romans 8 15 and that if you sing that one of my favorite songs i'm no longer a slave but then but then it begs the question well wait i thought i was a slave to sin isn't like fear kind of like emotionalism like shouldn't we be like true to like what the gospel says like i'm a slave to sin it's like okay well you're it's romans 8 15 so everyone relax but the implication of the fact that we now belong to god is this right is i'm no longer a slave to fear fear of what fear of the tyranny of the devil he is a conquered foe now. That, my former master, the devil, is now the footstool of my new king, who's seated above every ruler, authority, power. And I mean, devil can't, you can't touch this. MC Hammer, right? I'm positionally, I mean, there's, we'll, talk, we'll talk about Ephesians 6, and we'll talk about spiritual warfare when we get there, but, but positionally, devil can't make any claim to me. Devil can't change my identity. Devil can't, devil can't say I'm in sin anymore. I'm not in sin. I'm in Christ Jesus. Devil can't condemn me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. Uh, the devil, he's a cruel master. I have a kind, compassionate master who's got, who's got scars on his hands and, and on his feet to prove his love for me, his sacrificial love for me, and to prove the, the payment, like Jess was saying with her call to worship this morning. It is finished. It's been paid in full, right? So I'm no longer under the tyranny of the devil. What am I, I'm no longer under the, the fear of death, the fear of the devil, but also the fear of death. What used to crush me, what, what happens after you die, or I'm so nervous, and, and all these things. No, I have a good father who's, 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 uh, who, who called me before the foundation of the world. He's prepared in advance good works for me to walk in. I'm practically immortal until my earthly assignment is over. And so now for the believer, death is gain. Not to be feared in Christ Jesus. Because Why? Because our King Jesus, who we are in union with, has gone before us in his death. And his resurrection, his resurrection, 1 Corinthians, 14, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, is the first fruits. When you'd ingather a, 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 a harvest, the, the first ingathering would be the sign of what the rest of the harvest would look like. And Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits for all of our resurrections. So you want to know what's going to happen, how it's going to play out? Well, study the Gospels. What happened? Jesus rose again in a glorified body. You're going to rise again in a glorified body. So death now, I'm free from the tyranny of the devil, fear of the devil, I'm free from the tyranny of death, and also I'm free from being, uh, I'm free from the, 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 the um, ever having God demand repayment for my sins. I'm free from that crushing debt of sin. Uh, if you guys have a mortgage and a house, just made a good point, like all of us, if you're over 18, probably have debt, guilty as charged. And so imagine your house is paid in full, 
But every day you're working your fingers to the bone, working like 80-hour work weeks just to pay off a mortgage that's already paid. And often we live our lives that way, right? Jesus said, hey, you're, you're dead of sin. It's grace now. It's not works, right? You've, you've been set free from this debt. It's been cleared. So we don't have to live uh, slaves to, to works of righteousness, to atone for our sins. Jesus' perfect righteousness has been given to us. Is that your trial, if you are in Christ Jesus, for your sins before the perfectly just God of the universe, your case has been tried and the verdict has been given not guilty, forgiven forever in Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate you from his love. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson says this, and I'll close with our third point. By his death on the cross, Christ has justly purchased us back for God at the cost of his own blood. He has dealt with our guilt to bring us pardon. He has overcome the cosmic, cosmic forces of darkness which bound us. He has died to the reign of sin uh, that mastered us and risen in triumph over all his and all our enemies. Now by his spirit, he leads us into the promised land of freedom in life, fellowship with God, and communion with his people. And the news keeps on getting better. We say, is that, is that it? And it's, that's not it. Paul's still holding the box in him we have. And then in verses 9 and 10, he continues. And the next thing we're going to see off that quote um, in, in regards to the promised land that Jesus is leading us to is that all of this is ultimately leading somewhere eternal and beautiful, which leads to our third and last point of the talk this morning is this, is that in him, in Christ Jesus, we have the full restoration of all things. The full restoration of all things. Verse 9 says this, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. So real quick, when Paul says that language mystery there, um, that's not, you know, anyone remember unsolved mysteries back in the day? The cheesy, you know, bum, 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 and you watch it, and you're like, how is this going to get solved? That's not what we're talking about here. In biblical language, I think it's five times Paul will use this word mystery. That is something that uh, the Lord uh, had hidden but now is revealed to us that we kind of didn't have much information on. We kind of were taking a guess at it, a jab at it or whatever, but now God has revealed it to us. So we are no longer in the dark with what the Lord is up to, where, where all this is headed. Uh, in God's grace to us and the abundance of his wisdom and his grace to us, we now know what he's done in Christ Jesus, what he's doing in Christ Jesus, and where all of this is headed in Christ Jesus. He's completely revealed all of it to us in his word. We're no longer in the dark. And so that begs the question, well, well, where is this headed? What is the plan? And the beautiful news is that God has a plan. This is all headed somewhere. This isn't us just uh, un, in an uncertain way kind of figuring this thing out. No, God has a plan. And this is it in verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That word fullness of time is beautiful. That word fullness of time is that moment when when time kind of crashes into eternity. You know, does that make your head explode? It should make your head explode, right? Like time ceases to be time and then it merges into eternity. And at that moment, what happens, right? Well, all things will be united in Christ Jesus. United. Um, sin brings about a disintegration of the harmony of God's original intent for humanity. As Christians, we believe that God created everything good and he created humanity very good. And when you look at the news and what's happening globally, you go, it ain't good and it ain't very good, right? Like we need help. We need redemption. 
we need restoration. Something's not right. And inside uh, all of us is this, this ache, this longing where we know things are not the way they ought to be. There isn't harmony. There isn't peace. There isn't shalom. There isn't harmony between man and God and, and man with each other and also man with creation, right? Natural disasters, floods, pestilence, earthquakes, right? And the beautiful work of Jesus is, yes, it is the forgiveness of sins for salvation. But more than that, it's cosmic in its redemption that all of creation will be redeemed from the curse of sin. And the picture we get in Isaiah 11 is beautiful. I love this picture. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. Watch, watch this, the harmony between creation that Jesus is bringing about uniting all things. That word unite is that which was divided, that which was disintegrated by sin. Jesus has dealt with that sin issue and in the fullness of time will fully deal with that sin issue and then consummate and usher in this new kingdom of unity and harmony and peace with God and man and man with each other and man with creation. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion, and even the, the Kobe beef calf, together, the lion won't be licking his chops, basically, the fattened calf. And a little child shall lead them. Now that is like some beautiful Isaiah prophetic stuff right there, right? I mean, look at that picture. You got Mufasa, a lion, massive lion, big mane. And then you got this fat ribeye looking calf that you're, you're, you know, you want to eat and all this stuff, but they're all hanging out. And then, and, then, and then you have a little toddler, a little kid playing fetch with a lion, right? Come on, lion. Maybe riding on his mane, you know? That's the, that's the picture we get, and then it continues. It's amazing. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie, lie down together. Like, when you read this, does not your heart just long for this? Ache for this. No more fear. No more threat to, to your physical safety, to the safety of your kids. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Sorry, lion, you're going vegan. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. You know, I'm a parent of three kids. My kids just be like, hey, tossing snakes to each other and hanging out. You know, it's terrifying, but that's what it says. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? Why? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord of Jesus Christ and the work he's done. As the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of the reign of Jesus, his righteousness, his peace will be reigning over the new heavens and the earth. And this is what awaits us. So that means no more Advil for you and me. There's some achy hips and, and knees and joints. Play some basketball yesterday my wife. It was a big mistake. Oh, by the way, open invite. People playing basketball after church today. Uh, if, you want, if you want to get your basketball on, talk to Jen, my wife. Uh, play Stevenson's Park across the street. Um, no more Advil, right? No more joint pain. No more cancer. No more chemo treatments. No more need for insurance, right? These are things we won't need. Won't need a, a mace or a gun at your hip. Won't need security cameras. There's coming a day. All of that stuff, which is normal to us, the threat of death and, and disease and, and disaster, that isn't, that's not our inheritance. That's not where all this is headed. It's glory. And so, um, Banj, you can come on up. And yes, I will keep you for 30 minutes up here. Just kidding. Uh, 
It begs the question, how does God revealing this plan and all wisdom and insight to us, like our text says, how does God revealing the mystery of his will, a full restoration of all creation in his son, change our lives today? It changes everything. It changes everything. Because I don't know about you, but since 2020, and especially now 2023, when I pull up the news, because you've got news junkies out there, you want to keep staying informed, watch the news, you, you pull up the news and you kind of do that emoji where you're like looking with one eye, terrified of what's away, what's, what you're going to see, right? What's going to happen is the refrain when you're reading the news. It's just me, maybe, right? Fanning into flame some fear, unnecessary fear of what's going to happen. Believer in the Lord Jesus, hear this. The grace of God to you in Christ Jesus, he's already revealed what's happening. Isaiah 6 is what's going to happen. The end of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's what's happening to us. We already know that question. Jesus is returning and he will make all things new. Like a daddy on a, on a road trip with their kids going to, going to the beach. And their kids are saying, Dad, where are we going? Reveal to us the mystery of your will. You, you just told us to follow you. All right, where is all this going? Where are we going? He so said, we're going somewhere amazing. And we are going somewhere amazing in June. We're exiting stage left. We're going to the Magset. We're going to the Outer Banks. It's going to be awesome. So I'm telling my kids, we're going to the beach. I'm showing show them some photos. This is where it's headed on this road trip. There's going to be a mystery along the way, some, some twists and turns. But you now know this. You know the direction of where our family's headed on this road trip and the destination. And you and I know the direction and the destination of where this sin-cursed world is going. Jesus Christ is making it brand new. This is the great news. Just as he's made us a new creation. He set us free from the, from the tyranny of our sins. He's made us no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. When we get to call him Lord, a gracious Lord, he's doing that with all of creation. It looks really good for us, right? And so this is what it leads to. As we face suffering and hardship on this pilgrim journey, we know that it pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us. And I'm going to conclude with Psalm uh, 112, verses 6 through 8. And I hope this encourages your heart, and then we'll pray. The righteous for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks on triumph and triumph on his adversaries. I love that psalm. This is everything Christ Jesus gives us. In the midst of a world that is um, panicking with fear of what is happening, what we see in this text because of who our God is and what he's done for us and what he's revealed to us is we don't have to be afraid of bad news. Our heart is secure. Our salvation is secure. Our eternity is secure in Christ Jesus. We don't need to be moved. We don't need to be shaken because we've looked in triumph on our adversaries. The devil, the death, and the damnation of our sins has all been dealt with. Our greatest adversaries now are conquered foes so that we can live our lives from victory and towards victory, all because of what Jesus has done for us. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and prepare for the taking of communion. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you search us? I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be active in this room right now. Oh, come, precious Holy Spirit. 
for all the doubts that are in this room of, is this really true? Does this really apply to me? Can I really receive this? I pray you'd wash away those doubts now, God. I pray that you would etch in concrete and stone in our hearts who we are in you, Christ Jesus, that it's all true, that we do belong to you, that we aren't condemned. We're under grace. We're not under wrath. You're not punishing us for our sins. Would you break off condemnation? Would you break off shame for past sins in this room, God? Everybody's got a past. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's made mistakes. No, not one can stand before you and puff out their chest today and say, I'm righteous and you have to accept me. We've all gone astray. We've all sinned. And we all have the same hope of Jesus being our savior, our redeemer. He's paid the ransom with his blood. So I pray, Holy Spirit, shatter the lies of the enemy. Break down strongholds that have been entrenched, God, that have led to depression and oppression in our lives. And it doesn't line in with the gospel. It's not true. In him, we have redemption. In him, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. In him, we are holy and blameless before him. In him, no one can bring a charge against us. In him, we have full restoration. This is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. This is rightfully ours. You've handed it to us. It's paid in full. We've done nothing to earn it, but you've given it to us, God. And so today as we celebrate communion, remembering what you've done, Lord God, may it truly be a celebration, God. May it lead to rejoicing that we have in our hands your shed blood. There is no forgiveness of sins, your word says, without the shedding of blood. And what our text says, it was through his blood that we're set free. It was his sacrifice on our account. He paid it in full. He took the bill. He put it on his shoulders. And so, Lord, we praise you today. We thank you, God. Turn our hearts to you. Help us to see this. Help us to know you. Help us to love you. Help us to believe this and receive this and even feel it, Lord, where our hearts are cold to the beauty and wonder of what it means to be in you, Lord Jesus. So we love you. We bless you and pray this in your name. Amen.